Ladies and gentlemen, now it's Tiffany Wick with Alan Oxley. Yeah! Yes! <laughs> They're fired up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are they, though? This yeah, should be. Sure. This, this, this is going to be a great show. Guys, welcome back to another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by the number one producer in late night, Dave Wilnowski. Whoa. Dave, how are you yeah. doing? I'm doing fantastic. I, I, I worked 12 hours again today. I was always reserving my Ooh. energy all day. I did as little as possible so I'd be all revved up and ready to go tonight. I'm, I'm ready to have some fun. Yeah. Did that work? No. Oh. no, I feel like garbage. <laughs> All right. Well, let me just kind of reset here. Then that's not the answer. <laughs> I'm just, um, I go good. Though. We can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can. Can you, Mary? Mm -hmm. Just all right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> this I. You know what? I'm actually having a great week. the The temperature's warming up. You know, oh. summer is fast approaching. I know that's bad news to you because you're, you know, an Eskimo. But for for the rest of us, it's feeling good outside. Like I'm getting out more. Like I'm, you know, sometimes you wake up yeah. in the morning and you and you have stuff to do, and you're like, oh, like when I get off work or whatever, I'm not going to go out. I'm I'm just going to go home. I'm making myself go out more. Just kind of getting reacclimated to the earth and the people. Yeah. I mean, Versus. yeah, I I know. Who am I fucking kidding? Right. So anyway. <laughs> Did you hear the news about everyone's favorite operating system inventor? Bill Gates got the coronavirus. I didn't even hear about that. Do, do we have a picture of Bill Gates? Oh, yeah. yeah I always have one ready. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, doing you're going to do, have to do a lot of presses to get rid of those. That's all I'm yeah, saying. So he's working yeah. chest. Um, Okay, that's that. That's actually a fake. He does have man boobs, but his man boobs are not that big. That's a fake picture. We I, don't spread a... fake news on this show. No. Uh, do we have a real picture of Bill Gates? Yeah. Our stock photo. <laughs> yeah. Which which one would you rather be real if you were him? You know? Uh. Like, giant man boobs or sexual predator? What do you, What do you think? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm morally i'm gonna have to say giant man moves <laughs> morally yes but but you know yeah. let's be real with ourselves here the follow-up question is how hot was she yeah yes indeed so that matters um, yeah it i mean <laughs> it matters to the sexual predator it's all yeah you know oh yeah, yeah. but <laughs> Really, I kind of I decided I wanted to do something a little bit different for tonight's monologue because I thought instead of like we could come up with three or four more funny pictures of people and say, "Hey, do we have a picture of it?" and then it'll be a monkey, and I'll say, "Dave, you're racist." But what what I thought we would do this week is is I had a kind of interesting discussion topic come up, and what it kind of revolved around was starting off with that gentleman right there, Bill Gates. But you you could plug in any random just evil sob. You could think of someone in the government oh, yeah. you could think of a kamala aforementioned you could oh. think of uh we're going to be talking about adam kinzinger later this evening the neocon pos from illinois but you know mm. pick any of those people and let me ask you this question and this is a serious question i'd like to get some interaction with chat on this too is it right in in however you choose to define the term right is it right to wish ill on other people, even evil people, even people that you hate or disagree with 
or want harm on others? Is it is it morally right to wish ill on them? Hmm. I feel like that's that's a lot tougher question when the rubber meets meets the road. Because I yeah. know that there's a lot of people out there that from a distance, it's easy for them to say, I don't like these people. They should go away. Yeah. But whenever you run into someone like that, you should always counter with, okay, well, here's the rifle. Go do it. Go. You do it. <laughs> it's it, The man who passes the sentence should swing the sword, as Ned Stark would say. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And, and, of course, the whole principle of that being that if you can't do it, then maybe that person doesn't deserve it. And so with with that kind of thought in mind, I'll restate again. Is it right to wish ill upon others? No. I don't know. I, 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 <clears throat> I never know if I'm supposed to answer. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you're yeah. the only one like here, like in the <laughs> studio, you know. Well, 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 for me, it's like, I never really thought about it that much. Like, like I know it when I, when I come across it, cause it, it's, it's happened a lot in the past, past few years. Cause you got the president trying to do these, uh, these laws from, from the desk where he says like, if I don't do this, then I shouldn't eat anymore or feed my children. And I had feelings like that. And, and, but I didn't think like if it's right or wrong, it, it just felt like it felt wrong. Like, cause I, it crossed my mind. I'm like, it, and, and that's kind of where I'd go. I'd just be like, I'd like if he just went away, like just went away. Like I'm not really wishing ill, but it'd be nice if some people just went away. They could go somewhere else. They don't have to get hurt or anything. Yeah. I think that's kind of well, where I, I go with it. I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think, cause, but I, I think some people would say that that's a cop out because it's, if you want them to go away, what does that, what does that mean? Cause you have to define all the terms, right? Well, they could, like they if could you, just go to Florida, retire, you know? Okay, and if, and when they say the no, I'm going to stay right here and keep doing what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, because well, so because you have to define <laughs> what what everything means in a really tough philosophical question. Yeah. Because I because I know some people would say I'm actually already seeing in chat people saying, well, if they're truly evil, then well, of course. I was like, okay, what's truly evil? What's yeah. mildly evil? What's not quite evil at all? What's truly evil? And then when the people who think that that wasn't evil. And when you thought it was truly evil, decide to come for you because they think you're truly evil. Now what? So now you're kind of digging into the Pandora's box of revenge, right? Like, where does that, where does that go? Where does that end? Because no matter how, now, no matter how evil a person is, objectively or subjectively, they're going to have people on their team, right? And yeah, they're going to think that if you decided that evil person should you know the the, the day we you gave them the dave willimowski treatment which is they had to go away then Just go away yeah. then they're they're gonna come for you because you're truly evil because you did away <laughs> you know like with their so, like so when you think of all the ramifications that's a hard question and, well, it's, and of it's, course it's it's one thing to just wish ill but to actually act upon it and dealing with the repercussions that's a whole different thing because I know, because, you know, people that know me know that I'm I'm not really a religious person, but I know that that a, a more religious person would perhaps reply with, this life is not the end, you know? Mm. And so we don't, 
we don't take such matters into our hands, right? Because that's not, A, that's not for us to decide, and B, this isn't the end. They're going to get theirs, and we're going to get ours, and that's going to happen in another world. And so that's why we don't resort to such things. Um, But then again, of course, as, as, as I said, you know, I'm not really a very religious or spiritual person and i have no problem of course remember i took the test i'm chaotic evil so a they're gonna they're coming for me dave they're coming for me and me me i'm thinking to myself look there's some people in this world that need to get got (laughs) but i know that but i know that there's very kind and virtuous and wonderful people that i have an enormous amount of respect for that would be horrified by what i just said that's not how they feel at all yeah so it's a tough question. It is, and 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 I am I am I'm like a you know I'm Christian I'm I, I have faith and stuff like that but it, I it, I don't even look at it from that because I don't know enough about the rules that I'm supposed to know the book that I'm supposed to read. It just feels wrong to wish ill. It's like it can it, you can take, put it to any kind of spiritual belief. You know, it's bad bad karma. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like you know I, just, I I'll pray for them. You know, hopefully they'll change their heart and they'll become a better person. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I, I I see I see our friend Ryan in chat says violence is always the answer. <laughs> see, see Ryan's the guy that's gonna get got. Yeah, see, he, he's going <laughs> to the llama farm. I like that. <laughs> yeah, um, that's something for everybody to ponder, and I think we we will we'll revisit that sometime in the future. It was just something that came up. Um. I was actually put believe it or not I was actually putting together show notes for the for the live show on June 4th oh. here in beautiful Middle Tennessee it's the 4th annual It's Too Late live show hosted by yours truly as well as David Mary Lee Lena right in Bonacqua Computer Club that's in Bonacqua Tennessee June 4th but you have to get your tickets you have, have to get, get them tickets. it's like 3 weeks away guys we got to sell we got to sell like 20 to 30 more tickets in order for it to basically be a sellout yeah, <laughs> we'll break even. Yeah, uh, so you got to get your tickets. But one of the questions, because uh, I have a guest for that evening, and we're oh. gonna delve, we're gonna delve into some deep stuff. I think everyone's gonna have their banana pudding and listen. Yeah, you know, yeah, because that's how you. Just, everyone's just fat yeah. as shit, and that's okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, <laughs> I feel like we should move on to the next segment. What do you think? Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Did we, did we covered all that? got it <laughs> oh we definitely i definitely don't think we got it but we'll we'll come back we'll, yeah. we'll try we'll try again when we're we'll put a pin so, in it. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly uh we're gonna be back with the meme of the week and the viewer mail right after this commercial break don't go away
Yeah, I I meant to open this up before the commercial is over, but you know I'm slow. Yeah, here we are. Um, all right. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, better not be a rerun again. I feel like it's more creepy than anything. It says, "A long lost relative will soon come along to your benefit." See, it says right there, "A long lost relative will soon come along to your benefit." Oh. Um. Like I've been playing a lot of Seven Days to Die, <laughs> so I don't I don't know how I feel about that. How long and lost they are, yeah. Yeah, like the relatives that I give a shit to see, I either do see or they're dead. Yeah. So that means oh. that means no thank you to that. It's gonna be a, a Christmas pass thing. <laughs> yeah. I would make a great Scrooge. Uh, Scrooge, I think you would. You, you think okay. so? Like for real? No, I do. I do. Okay. Because you know he he ends up at the end. He does have a heart of gold. Even though mm -hmm. he's a dirty, dirty capitalist. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it is a bunch of socialistic nonsense, but it you is. know, whatever. It's it's a classic tale. All right, I I thought I would make it. Okay, whatever. Um, let me tell you a little bit about tonight's sponsor. That's Pat oh. Crest Botanicals, where you can get all of your CBD, Delta Eight uh, gummies, topical creams, teas, just a ton of different products. But you get your CBD products at patcrestbotanicals.com. Promo code, it's too late for, listen to this, guys, 30% off. Be kidding me. Yeah, that's that's kind of ridiculous. And so with with inflation, it's only plus 400%. Yeah. Yeah. That's a but killer. it'd be way worse. It'd be way worse. I actually have some here on my desk. This is the Ascend 3000. Uh, can, we, can we get a shot of that? 3000. Yeah. Mm, it looks, yeah. I was trying to be more ascendy this week. Remember last yeah. last week didn't work out. But um There's a, yeah, that was intense. Yeah. Last week wasn't intense. Last week was like, let's just get this yeah. kind of thing over. All right. Um but anyway, it's patcrestbotanicals.com. Promo code, it's too late. Um I think we'll I think we'll save for later for our next sponsor, which is Tennessee Hot Sauce Company. But I told you guys, Tennessee Hot Sauce Company is coming. To the fourth annual It's Too Late Live show, June 4th. They're going to have a special limited edition hot sauce only available at the event. And we know what the flavor is going to be. Yeah, we do. Dave, Dave's going to, I mean, you're going to, right? I'm pretty excited about it. Okay, yeah. Hot I'm, sauces, yeah. I'm excited for you, actually. <laughs> I really am. That's going if to, you, if you want to see Dave live and in person, drink hot sauce and have a, um, a less than ideal performance, <laughs> you got to come June 4th to the show. It's yeah, going to be great. We're going to be mixing a lot of weird stuff that night. Oh, oh, should we tell people about the other thing you're test, taste testing? The drink? Yeah, why not? I, I might have okay. mentioned it. So there's there's only oh so you've already ruined the surprise yeah great no uh, three people so there was a few states in the country that were try were, that were rolling out the taste testing for Mountain Dew hard hard Mountain Dew yeah it's a Mountain Dew liquor in a few different flavors and Tennessee has some I'm gonna buy some hard Mountain Dew for Dave yeah and I, I don't carts. I don't know what banana pudding and hot sauce and mountain dew liquor is going to do to you yeah but yeah but let's let's just see what happens at least i'm gonna at least get sweaty i, I that's <laughs> yeah and it's gonna be 95 degrees and 100 yeah. percent humidity and you're gonna be wearing a suit yeah 
yeah. gray and sweaty. Yeah, it, awesome. it'll be kind of brown and runny down the back about halfway yeah. through the show. But yeah, be there. He's a he'll he's a trooper. He's not gonna. No. No. All right. Wouldn't, wouldn't be um, yikes. <laughs> uh, hey, Dave. Yes, Alan. What time is it? It's time for meme of the week. Wait, what oh the my! Hell? Well, that's it's kind of hot, except for it's disturbing. I mean, I can work yeah. with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, teach their own, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a bonus meme. Check out the bonus meme. Oh, we do. I didn't even. Oh. Woman on death row. <laughs> what do you want for your last meal? I don't know. What do you want? Yeah. And then you know what I say Taco Bell and then suddenly they know what they want and it's not that. Yeah. That you know it'll be my luck that this this episode is the episode that Anna Kay decides to tune in and now I'm not going to get to have any, you know, for a few days. Yeah. They'll just I'm getting the cold shoulder now. But okay, real quick though, we're being gentlemen by saying yes. I defer to your wants. Yeah. Right? Our needs our needs are simple. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, do do I have meal preferences? Of course I do. But yeah. I want you to have what you want. That's more important. And now I'm the bad guy. Seriously. I guess we're just out. fucking eating Chick-fil-A every day. <laughs> I, is what you would say. Is what you would say yeah. if that were you. That's not me. I'm saying that's what, no. you, that's what, that's what would Dave happen. Said. Okay. All right. Um. Let's uh this we were doing good for a minute now it's off the rails. That's good. It's still good. Okay. Uh, let's answer some viewer mail. Whoa. It's kind of neat. That startled me. Oh, well I didn't mean to do that. We're we're actually still getting submissions for viewer mail right now. Could you guys do this like before right this second? <laughs> Uh, Andrew Avery writes, yeah, we're going to end up missing a couple. I'm sorry because we're, we're busy. Yeah, um, cause the show, the show's live. It's, it's <laughs> eight nineteen central time mm -hmm. right now. It's live. Um, could you imagine if it was recorded and we just like synced yeah, that up? Nailed yeah. that. That's, that's how well old a machine this shit is. All right. Uh, Andrew Avery writes, dear Alan and Dave, are you keeping abreast of the infant formula shortage? Hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even notice. Well, like, why, why, why aren't these women feeding their children with their, you know? Yeah. Like, why is there so many people buying formula? Like, isn't formula like not as good as breast milk? Well, breast breastfeeding isn't as as simple as you think it is either. It it can be very complicated. Just just do it. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried. Just, I mean, it's, yeah. It gets weird. Well, and then you tried to ask Mary, well, what do you want? And just, all right. Um, now, people are just spamming breasts in chat now. Do you see that? Andrew, this is your fault. Yep. You, you got everybody all hot and bothered. Trying to run a classy show. <laughs> lying son of a bitch. All right. Uh, Eric Eli writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what are your favorite 70s or 80s TV shows? Oh. Do you have, do you have a favorite classic show? 
You know, I I have a terrible memory, so I actually did have to go back and Google. And and once I started scrolling through the uh, the '80s shows, man, there were a lot of lot of memories there. Like you know, the growing pains and but Perfect Strangers. I loved that show when I was a kid. That was good. And Alf, Alf's in there. This this show They're... lasted this show lasted for eleven years, so technically it ended in the early '90s, but it started in '82. Okay. I love the show Cheers. Oh yeah. Sometimes you want to go where everybody yeah. Why 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 are we dropping frames right now? Like what's what's going on with our situation? Do you see that? It's it was probably all the breast talk. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was the it was the breast talk 1000%. I should, I should be keeping an eye on that. I yeah, I'm still going to lower the thing that I can do, you know, and yeah, see see if that helps, but if it wasn't for all the breast talk, we wouldn't have been in this <laughs> trouble. Uh, Lyle Durio writes, Dear Alan and Dave. Hey, hey Lyle. Hey, Lyle. <laughs> hey, Lyle. All right. <laughs> uh, what are some good media alternatives to the lying liars? Oh. You're here. Yeah. And obviously he knows because he's asking the question. Yeah. To the to the thing. Yeah. He's asking the, the answer what the answer to, is. To, to the thing, you're such a fucking technical producer, Dave. He's like Lyle did. Lyle did something to the thing. Yeah, I like to keep it cerebral. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ryan Seifert writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, our onion rings donuts." Oh. Right. So they're not donuts because it literally <laughs> says "dough" in the name donuts, and yeah. and breading like for frying something is not dough. Yeah, he he almost had me. Yeah. I, I know. See, it, it gave you pause because you're like, well, it's like it's round and, you know, but Ryan. don't 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 listen to Ryan's bullshit. All right. Because <laughs> in in Ryan's world, everything that's breaded is a donut. Oh, Chicken fingers a, are a donut. Slip. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Ryan then you're going to wind up with dozers and dough, dough mams and just. <laughs> all right. It's uh, it's yeah, it's donut. So. <laughs> what happened this all right like we had this really deep philosophical conversation in the first 10 minutes and now now look what happened all right uh brian johnson writes dear alan and dave would you rather wear the same socks for a month or the same underwear for a week oh well the same underwear for the week that ain't that ain't that bad so i think the same underwear for the week is yeah. not as because because I mean your socks are gonna get just smelly and gross like after a few days, much less a few weeks. Whereas your underwear, like think like think about this, ladies ladies, this is for you. Don't be afraid. Because, like that's that's the area that we're maintaining the most. Yes. You know, right. Yep, it gets the like, most attention in the shower. <laughs> like your shirt's gonna be bad after a week because you you're working and you're sweating in your underarms, yeah. but but we're keeping things in check. Yeah, down there. Keep up with your maintenance wipes. Yeah. So I think the underwear's <laughs> maintenance wipes. Jesus. <laughs> I feel like you. We'll, we'll talk after the show, Dave. Is that right? All right. Uh, that. All right. Uh, <laughs> Keith McQuarrie writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what would be the creepiest thing you could say while passing a stranger on the street? Didn't we already answer that? 
Yeah, because the same answer came up, and and now I'm in a position where I'm trying to think of another one. I feel like the answer is, especially if they have young children, is yeah. your daughter's cute. Yeah. Just go straight to the hot button, you know. What is she seven? <laughs> See, I I made it bad. Now I remember. Yeah, because why is okay? Because <laughs> because you said that, and then it's the crowd that assumes that you're being creepy, whereas yeah. the daughter's like twenty six. Mm-hmm. And then I made it weird. Uh, alternate answer: Do you have any maintenance wipes? <laughs> yeah. Do you have any wipes on you? For- also, like if you're kind of scratching because it gets itchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jonathan Carranza writes, what is the perfect lunch? Uh, a French dip. Wow. Get the French get French dip with sandwich with, with the cup yeah. of au jus. Au jus. Oof. There you go. Oh, jeez. Wow, you're fancy, man. Fancy? No, I, yeah. Wait, I, your I, answer is going to be crackers and cheese. What the hell? No, I, I was kind of going the same way, but it, it's it's a sub with chips and a, and a pop, and then you can put some chips on your sub, maybe some Fritos. Wait, just let Fritos me just stop you right there. Oh, chips and a what? A sub. Really? See, because <laughs> really? No, because here, I mean, you can pretty much call it any of it. We're like in a regional area where. We're on the edge mm-hmm. of everything. You can call it hoagie, grinder, whatever. Grinder's kind of weird, but it's a sub. I'm just sub. so glad you didn't say Taco Bell because we don't. We're running out of time now for the I interview. I said that earlier. And we, we, yeah, but we. I can't. I can't rebuke oh, for you lunch. for several <laughs> for several different things at once. It's Taco Bell. Taco Bell. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I need to get a mute button over here for for Dave Cam. Just re- Dave, remind me to ha- to install a mute button for you on my. Stream Deck. Okay. It's Taco yeah. Bell. There's a Taco Bell across the street from Poncho's, and if I see y'all's truck Ooh. going over there, I swear to God. I want, want a pre, pre-game over there. <laughs> uh, Celeste Annis writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what is your favorite kind of flower? Hmm. Oh, that's nice. That is. Do, do you have a favorite flower? Oh. I feel like my button's going bad, but um, no. Yeah, no. Th- yeah. Thanks for that programming note mid mid show. But go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna have to move that one. Yeah, no flower. No, I don't have a favorite flower. It's weird. But what are you oh, doing? Oh, now it works twice. That's fantastic. All right, <laughs> one more strike, and All right. you know what's happening. All right. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to like. Yeah, you All know right. what? What I was, I was thinking about it today. One of these days, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get good at this job, and then what are we gonna have to talk about? Like I'm gonna nail everything. I'm gonna be a better talker. Probably, probably that all soft drinks are called Coke, and how the fast oh, food yeah. Mexican restaurant is Taco Bell. You guys really do that? Everything's Coke. Well, just you know, Cokes. Like the, do they say what kind of Coke you want? No, like if you're if you're at a restaurant and they say, "Do you want?" What do you want to drink? And they have Coca-Cola on the menu and you say Coke, they're going to bring you a Coca-Cola. Oh, okay. But if you're in, but if you're wondering where the soft drinks are, you'd be like, oh, there's the Coke aisle. There's the Cokes. Wow. That's wild. <laughs> it's wild. It is. It's like, mind blowing to me. <laughs> it's, like, it's like an exotic island. 
the south yeah, yeah all right like because in my imagination i just see like like an aisle with like every coke you could think of you know there's diet sugar-free cherry mm-hmm. maybe other cokes i don't even know about like a peach coke or something yeah i mean those there's coke and vanilla coke and cherry coke yeah. but all of those can be found in the coke aisle yeah yeah i guess it's deceivingly accurate all right <laughs> Uh, Darren Neal writes, Dear Alan and Dave, which is the better pain relief, Kratom or weed? Uh, well, we wouldn't do anything like that would... on this program. No. No. No, no, no. But if you're looking for something to help you out, you can go to our tonight's sponsors, which is Pat Chris Botanical. All right. Um, <laughs> hope this helps. Uh, I scare Thomas myself when I go after a button that quick. It's <laughs> you scare... What's gonna I, you know happen? what? Actually, I get a little nervous when I see in my monitor you going. Yeah. My arm jab. I'm like, here we fucking go. The stream's over, guys. All right. He's going to commercial. Here comes the tornado. Uh, Thomas Lightheart writes, instead of formula, couldn't the government provide each household with a milk goat? Mm. You know, that's the thing. Like, you, you can't open. That's another Pandora's box right there. Because when you think of all the money that government wastes, you could say, instead of wasting money on this ridiculous boondoggle, look what they could have done. And I know that the technically correct answer is we would rather them have not spent the money at all and not taxed you and whatever. But in a world where they've already taxed you and they're already going to print trillions of dollars and they're already going to go give it to... Yeah. Zelensky in Ukraine. If instead of doing that, you could have gotten a goat, then obviously I think you'd take the goat, right? That's right, Mary. I want my pony. <laughs> Sorry. Are yeah. they free goats? What What's free? You know? Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Carl Huber writes, Dear Alan and Dave, if an ambulance is on its way to save someone and it runs someone over, does it stop to help them? You know, I had a, not really a girlfriend, a girl I was seeing, but that happened. And yeah, I'm pretty sure they stopped and helped her. She was like walking by the bay where they're coming out and they, they come rolling out and hit her. <laughs> I think they stopped and helped her. I, I think that if in, in the case where there's like a serious injury, like an ambulance hit a person, yeah. then they probably would stop to help them. But if it was like a minor fender bender and they yeah. know that their call is this guy's dying, they would probably keep yeah. going and say, that you need to just, just figure this out yourself. And they yeah, we'll keep going. Deal with that later. If they did stop for a minor like fender bender, then that guy dies. And now the, now the ambulance has to get got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, 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 it, if it's like any kind of bureaucracy, I know then they, they have to continue on the job that they were assigned and then they have to talk to their supervisor or the person themselves has to call the emergency services to have another ambulance directed towards them seems like yeah. the right protocol. Yeah. Aaron Kentner writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what is the most used app on your phone? It's Duolingo for you, right? <laughs> no, no, not enough. That owl is pissed. <laughs> <laughs> always, um, always angry. I mean, does like, does, does like texting count as an app? Is that, you really text that much? I, I actually like I keep I keep my world set. This is here's a Seinfeld reference. I I keep my world separate. Uh so so Messenger high. is for like you retarded people, mm-hmm. and Signal is for like 
some of my close friends that I work with that, oh. that we have projects with and stuff, and we have some signal chats. Um, oh. And now Dave's like, oh, that's funny. I'm not signal. Um, <laughs> but but I have Messenger for you guys. Just give me a break. Yeah. All right. Um, and then mess text messaging is for Anna Kay. Oh. So you don't cross the streams, you see. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to say about signal chat, that's for a whole different group of autists. You know. <laughs> I mean, it is for a different group of autists. That's, I mean, that's technically the, I was trying to be nice. All right. Jesus. Um, Josh Wright writes, dear Alan and Dave, in the event of a zombie apocalypse of the two of you, who is likely to survive and who would be food? Is he trying to start a fight? You got to tune in Monday nights at nine o'clock yeah. Eastern time for the answer. I'm, I'm at the bottom of the earth. Yeah, this guy, fucking journey to the center of the earth over here with this guy. So he'll die, but not he won't be eaten because yeah, no one will I'll find his body. <laughs> they can't get to me. But I'll have some nice furniture, some plants. They're gonna get to you next week. <laughs> I just I have I just I have a feeling they're gonna get to you next week. And where are you gonna go? Because you're just in a fucking hole. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um Chris Malliard writes, Dear Alan and Dave, we were doing so good on time. Remember? Like 10 minutes ago, we were crushing it. All right. Why does a Roadrunner look more like a miniature ostrich than the cartoon Roadrunner? Huh. That is true. It is. I like how the, the question's kind of phrased as in, like, the, the, uh, the cartoon Roadrunner is the proper Roadrunner, and, and the real one was a mistake. Yeah, one's well, definitely a mistake, that's for sure. Um, and finally this evening, Mary Lynn Willimowski writes, Dear oh. Alan and Dave, what I do can now? you swim? If so, were you given lessons or did you just figure it out on your own? Hmm. That's a good question. I think she's trying to rule out all the ways she can you, <laughs> you know. Can you swim, Dave? Yeah, I can, I can swim pretty good. Um, okay. And yeah, I just figured it out myself. I was kind of a county kid, so I probably, I probably, well, we had a pool in our yard. It was like above ground, but it was deep enough that you could swim in it. And then um, a lot of my training was done in creeks and ponds. But yeah, I figured it out myself. So this is actually one I never understood. I'm not trying to be a dick, by the way. This is one I've never understood because I can swim and I just <laughs> figured it out and I never understood people who couldn't. I'm like, swim. Start, like, start flailing and you'll figure out which way. Like if you're in up. water where that is deeper than the length of your legs, then swim. You know? Yeah. Okay. Like I know that I know that there's people like, well, you then I'm like, yeah. swim. Just do it. Just just do it. Like well, it's I, one I thing. That, I saw one clip in like this old like western or something, whatever. It's an old uh they'll know in the chat but the guy just takes the kid and throws him in the river like figure it out <laughs> and he figures yeah. it out it's the shore and he's fine yeah exactly it's it's not that hard like i don't i don't recall anyone ever even like addressing it with me yeah like my oldest memory is just get in the pool and swim around <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like i knew carl it, would figure it out yeah like, what are you gonna do? Are like, is the is the alternative just just go to the bottom and drown? Is that is yeah, that you what you is that what you would do? 
<laughs> All right. Well, now that we've efficiently alienated everybody, we better move on, I think, to the interview yeah. portion of the show. Uh, yep. We're going to be back with tonight's guest, Patrick McFarlane from the Libertarian Institute, right after this break. Go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. back to the show everybody our guest this evening is a practicing attorney in wisconsin but we won't hold that against him as well as the justin raimondo fellow at the libertarian institute uh congratulations on that by the way that's pretty recent so i i, I love that i love justin so good for you uh as well as the host of liberty weekly which you can find at libertyweekly.net tons of content there way more can can you do my website for me is that can you just anyway Guys, Patrick McFarlane. Patrick, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Alan. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. So I know you've had a little bit of excitement recently because you you guys at the Libertarian Institute, you, Will, Kyle, Scott, everybody, have been churning out just a ridiculous amount of content, always, but especially recently in, in especially foreign policy news. And you've had a few of your articles picked up by Zero Hedge, going out to hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people. Uh, bravo, well done, but uh, what was your reaction to all that? I don't know, it's just kind of unreal, actually. I, I, It's still really cool. I, I think that's the only way I can describe it, it's just really cool. Well, it's it's funny. I'll tell you this anecdote really quick. Uh, I wrote an article about the, uh, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it got picked up by Zero Hedge, and I wouldn't have—I would have never known. Like I, you know, I don't—I don't follow the news probably as closely as, as as some of you hardcore writers do over at the Libertarian Institute. I would have never known it happened until uh, one of our mutual friends, Mike Meharry, called me and said, "Hey, I saw your article," and I was like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> so that's that's all I knew about it. But uh, one of the articles in particular that I want to highlight, uh, and by the way, I love the title, Adam Kinzinger executes neocon vision for Ukraine. This was published back on May 5th of this year. Uh, I want you to kind of set the stage for us a little bit. Adam Kinzinger, typical neocon war hawk, uh, talking a lot of smack about the war in Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, of course, no neocon ever saw a war they didn't like. But this isn't exactly the first rodeo for him, and particularly with Ukraine. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I thought it was really interesting because Kyle put out a piece talking, well, and Dave DeCamp did too of Antiwar.com, put out a piece talking about Adam Kinzinger and his introduction of a new AUMF in the House. And AUMF stands for Authorized Use of Military Force and essentially would give Biden the clearance to start, like to, to put boots on the ground in Ukraine in the event that uh, Russia was to use chemical or, you know, d basically WMDs in Ukraine. And it was incredibly alarming because 
well, it should be obvious why it's incredibly alarming. So I kind of wanted to dig into it a little bit, get into Adam Kinzinger's past. And of course, you know, the first thing I kind of did was there are a few neoconservative think tanks that have been intimately tied to the situation in Ukraine. One of the biggest ones is the Foreign Policy Initiative. And now that is it's kind of defunct. But the connections that are there going back to at least the 2014 Euromaidan um, coup that occurred in Ukraine, where the, the government there was overthrown and it had U.S. footprints all over it. But um, there was Victoria Newland, who was, I believe, the assistant secretary of state at the time, who was involved to some level in the the counter well the revolution protests and her husband is um robert kagan who is a famous neoconservative but he is also he also heads the foreign policy initiative and i thought it was really interesting to get into because lo and behold adam kinzinger has spoken at the foreign policy initiative and so that kind of led me down the rabbit trail of looking into adam kinzinger's past and seeing some of the legislative developments that he has uh, been involved with. And it really basically came out, became apparent to me that he is one of the architects of our current, like the, the current Ukrainian situation. Well, something I know that we talked about on the show very recently, it's kind of the, the classic stupid versus evil debate of, you know, are these, are these people making these kind of boneheaded decisions? Are they, are they just, you know, well-intentioned but misinformed folk? Are they, are they evil? They have an agenda that is not for the best interest of mankind. And, and Kinsinger has kind of, for me, two strikes against his name. One, of course, he's, he's a Republican representative. And yet, whether it was the Obama administration or now under the Biden administration, and, and here, you know, here they are saying that Republicans and Democrats just can't get along. It seems like when it comes to war, there's, there's, they never lack for opportunities to find bipartisan support. Am I, am I right in noticing that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And this stupid versus evil thing actually came up uh, when the great Scott Horton debated the other head of the foreign policy initiative, which is Bill Crystal, And Scott Horton debated him. And I think at the end when Bill Crystal kind of put up the white flag, he didn't even really have like a closing statement or a closing argument. I think he didn't even get out of his chair. But I think one of the things that he said in his defense was, hey, uh, well, I think my opponent is really kind of portraying this as if we're making these decisions with bad intentions. And I, I think the the funny obvious nature of it was like, well, if you if you're thinking that Scott is accusing you of having bad intentions, maybe that's just a product of how bad your actions are and how unjustifiable they are. And uh, I, I don't know if that's really a problem that Scott had. Well, there's a couple other things in particular about Kinzinger that I that I want to talk to you about. Uh, one being that he he was one of those voices. Um, it's it, it seems like ancient history at this point, the way the news cycle moves. But he was one of the voices that was saying, well, let's have a no-fly zone. You know, we, we won't actually involve ourselves in the war because, because they're trying to sell this idea that if you don't have troops on the ground, then therefore you're not really at war. It, we'll, we'll just have a no-fly zone. And, and that's kind of what I was thinking with the stupid versus evil thing is I tend to think that people like him don't get to the positions that they are and on the committees that he's on by being stupid. I think that he knows full well what it means to enforce a no-fly zone. W would you agree with that? 
I would have to think so. I mean, but but again, it's laughable because if you go to his actual page, his official page where the press releases are, one of the things that his staff, and I'm sure it was his staff that wrote it, one of the things they said is, oh, well, you know, he's a very brave pilot who piloted some kind of intelligence uh, plane during Iraq and Afghanistan. So he knows what what is needed just by the very fact of him having piloted a plane during these two conflicts. He knows when a no fly zone is appropriate. And, and I'm not really sure um, if there ever was a no fly zone that he ever participated in. But uh, just because of the fact that he knows how to fly an airplane, uh, I think that apparently makes him qualified to make these incredibly daft and stupid and reckless uh, foreign policy decisions. Well, one parting shot on on him while we're just totally running him into the ground is uh, you had mentioned in the article that uh, he was one of the voices after the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, as, as bungled of a withdrawal as one may believe it was, I feel like if there's one tiny little speck of silver lining on an otherwise turd sandwich for the Biden administration, it has to be at least troops are out of Afghanistan. But he, Adam Kinzinger, was one of the people saying, oh, well, this is just going, you know, as soon as the troops walk out, that means there's just going to be rising tensions. There's going to be uh, war-torn areas spreading around the Middle East. There's going to be an enormous increased risk of terrorism, which is, of course, all that's going to forever, the war on terror is going to forever going to be used as the, the boogeyman uh, for intervention. And yet, here we are all these months later, and all of that harbinger of doom that he spoke about None of that happened. Yeah, this is really the safe harbor myth that Scott talks a lot about in um, in Fool's Errand, and I, I think in Enough already as well. But the safe harbor myth, thinking that there's you know basically a magical portal um, to what is it JFK Airport in New York City from the caves in Afghanistan, the mountain. Yes. Which uh, really doesn't. I mean, of course that doesn't exist, and the the terror attacks in in a great deal of the terror attacks have been planned in areas other than Afghanistan. So I, you know, I think there was the Munich cell that's fa infamous for the nine 11 attacks. And, and in fact, they were, some of those attacks were planned in the United States too. So it's, it's just, um, and, and, you know, granted we are only nine or 10 months out from the withdrawal from Afghanistan. So there's a bunch of time, but I would I think it's a safe bet to say that if there is an attack on on domestic soil, my money is on that it will be planned somewhere other than Afghanistan. Well, let me let me ask you a little bit of a of a meta question. Um do a little prognosticating for us. So so for people that have ever seen this show before, uh I hope that people actually get the logo when they see it. But the show's called It's Too Late, and if you notice I have that little visage of the atomic clock on the moon right there. And people, perhaps in our generation, Patrick, we're, we're a little bit young for the days of tuning into the news to see what, you know, where the atomic clock is and when fallout's going to begin. Um, however, we're living in interesting times. And while I think that most of the peoples, the innocent peoples of the world, don't want to see escalations uh, with Russia, with with anyone for that matter definitely not between nuclear powers i feel like if you had said to me five years ago oh we're on the brink of nuclear war i'd have said well that's ridiculous of course we're not but if you were to say that to me today i think it would give me a little bit more pause do you honestly believe in your heart of hearts 
that this we are truly living in dangerous times, however you would define it. Yeah, certainly I do. Um, although it's it's really hard to kind of it, it's not tangible, you know, in, in a way that it feels like it was or that it must have been for our parents generation and, and their parents as well. But the the doomsday clock, I believe, is set to 90 seconds to midnight right now. And that's the closest that it's ever been. I think the the second closest it's been has been in the 1950s. Uh, wow. So it, it's it's really kind of scary. And the thing that's the most scary is that people don't really seem to care or realize. And I, I just keep thinking about the situation in my head. We were talking about the stupid versus evil debate. But but wouldn't it be just ridiculously funny if the, the entire world ended? Like human society, even humanity itself ended because Joe Biden's policy or some, you know, the people that are in charge right now, it's just incredible. It's an incredible clown world that we're living in. And it's, it's hard to believe that it's not a parody. Well, moving on, we'll, we'll leave Ukraine for now. Like hopefully everyone does. And you had another article here titled former NATO commander disguises war propaganda as novel. And the novel, you got a picture of it here on your website. It's a big, big novel called 2034 that I believe was actually written, written by uh, some, a couple of commanders or a couple of spooks. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what 2034 is. And is it, a, is it just an innocent, fun little fallout fiction? Or is it a little bit more sinister than that? Well, I think what it does is that it provides us a, a window into what the psychology is of uh, NATO, I guess, because now I, I believe it was the someone in the in Great Britain was saying that they want a, a global NATO force, not just as it applies to Europe itself. So but it, it's uh, it was it's a book written by Admiral James Stavridis, who was the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. And it's written about 2034, a future war with Russia or excuse me, with China. Uh, Russia is also involved in the book. But what, what it does is it, it provides an interesting kind of window into what their psychology is and respectively, all of the foreign policy spooks behind them as well. So essentially what what happens in the novel is that there is a like a, a surprise attack that happens on a U.S. freedom of navigation patrol in the South China Sea where the Chinese put out like a dummy, a dummy, uh, a ship as bait to to lure in U.S. forces. Then then after that initial attack, there is a full scale naval battle between Chinese forces and U.S. forces where the United States is soundly defeated because of a Chinese cyber attack capability that disables all of the navigation in warfare um, warfare fighting capabilities of U.S. forces. Uh, the Iranians capture a U.S. pilot. The Russians invade Poland because of this. And the Russians also cut the underwater internet cables that lead to the United States. And so these are all things that if you're familiar with the situation in China and like the foreign policy blob thinking about what they're terrified that the Chinese and the Russians will do, these are all things that you would have heard about already. Now, the thing that's most alarming is what happens after that, because in the novel, I believe the United States resorts to a nuclear strike. And I, I think because it's been a while since I've read it, but I believe the U.S. resorts to a tactical nuclear missile strike. And in retaliation, the Chinese 
they destroy Galveston, Texas, and they destroy with nuclear bombs. So they nuke Galveston and they nuke San Diego. And then the, U- the U.S. retaliates by like nuking Shanghai or something like that. And in the way that the entire novel ends, I guess I should have said spoiler alert if you're really planning on reading this, this rippingly good <laughs> read, as Wired Magazine called it, um, is that India comes into play and India threatens to attack either the United States or China, whichever one escalates tensions even higher. And so I, I think the real takeaway from this is not just that, um, you know, it's, it's propaganda. The real takeaway is that the elites consider the stance of India as being incredibly important in the new Cold War. And I think the reason they do that is just because they think that if a nation has a high population, then they're just destined to be this powerful economic, you know, force in the world. Well, you, you brought up there at the end talking about just high population and destined to be an economic force. And th- there was one thing that I wanted to ask you. We're we're pretty much going to take the whole rest of the segment today to let you rant about China. Because I know, Patrick, it's just your favorite thing to do. And of all the time, minutes that you've spent on this program, I have never once asked you about China. It's amazing we haven't talked about it. So we're going to do that for the rest of the show. But I, I wanted to start off with this. One circle that I can't seem to square that you hear a lot kind of just in the mainstream narrative is... China's economy is fake, and it's going to collapse. And yet, also, America's destined to lose a world war to them and everyone else in a matter of moments. How, th- those two positions don't seem to jive to me. How, to, how does that make any sense? I mean, I, I don't think it does, really. I think the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle. I mean, if you if you read David Stockman, he makes all kinds of good points about how yeah, he calls China the paper tiger about how it's a house of cards. But in in reality, I, I think that China's it's just incredibly interesting because you see people like um, David Rockefeller talking about China, talking about how China's like the grand experiment in some kind of technocratic, futuristic world order. And so you have a lot of Wall Street connections. And actually, there's a book written by Anthony Sutton that I think everyone should check out. It's called... Uh, well, it's the Wall Street trilogy, and he talks about how the West actually funded the Bolsheviks and how there's Western funding behind China. So China has this really interesting position where the elites are saying, oh, well, you know, look at those evil chai comms. Like, they're just evil and terrible, and they're going to take over the world. But wouldn't it be nice if we could do some of those things over here to our own population? And I think that we saw that a lot uh, during covid But one of the things that I've really kind of focused on in my work is talking about these two parallel narratives that have really been created by the the progressives and by the uh, the paleo Republicans, kind of the the populist Republican movement. And so on the one hand, you have China or on the one hand, on the left, you have Russia being the great enemy. And in fact, Hillary Clinton and, and the Biden campaign really planted Putin, you know, Trump is being Russia's puppet, uh, Putin's puppet, in that Russia has literally attempted regime change in the United States by meddling with our elections, that they're under they're under every rock, they're they're coming to, to eat our lunch, basically, the Russians. And that they're the greatest evil. We had Russiagate and all those different things. On the same hand, during the same time period, we have the populist right 
starting with with Donald Trump. And I mean, this has always kind of been a narrative that, you know, China steals our jobs, that China's evil, um, what have you. But you have Trump really becoming famous, talking about how China's ripping us off. And in many ways, it's it's kind of the other way around. We get cheap goods and we give them IOUs that we're never going to pay for. Uh, but at the same time, you have the the populist right. Now it's kind of been been changed with DeSantis and Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, um, and uh, Josh Hawley, and some of those other figures. But talking about how China's the greatest evil and how you know we should get out of the Middle East so we can focus on encircling China. And and I'm saying basically my theory is is that these are two parallel narratives that will combine at some point in time. You get half the country hating Russia, the other half of the country hates China. All it takes is, you know, an event to kick off some kind of broader conflict with those nations. And you can see that the uh, 2020 national defense strategy named China as being the number one threat. I wrote about that in another piece called um, Uncle Sam's Grand Delusion, talking about the, the 2022 national defense strategy and how on the on the one hand, they want to give billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine to fight Russia in a 1980s Afghanistan insurgency for the next decade. But at the same time, they want to do that. They think they can you know, put a plug in that with billions of dollars and then at the same time encircle China and put maximum pressure on, on China at the same time and kind of fight that Cold War. So I don't think that people have realized that we've been fighting a Cold War now for, uh, for, for some time, maybe five or six years, maybe longer than that. But we're in the middle of, of a new Cold War. And I, it's the most dangerous thing I think that mankind has ever faced because I, I can't envision any kind of conflict with real conflict with Russia or China. I can't imagine that that wouldn't go nuclear. It just, and it, it'd be the end of, of the human race. And for the stupidest, most avoidable things ever, they, especially the Stavridis guy, he, he believes in the same thing that Tim Poole does, which is Thucydides' trap, which is, I think, a self-fulfilling prophecy where they say, well, you know, if you look throughout history, you see that when a rising power um, is, is facing an established power and the established power is on the decline, it always results in war. So therefore, we're on this predetermined path where there has to be a war between the United States and Russia and China. And uh, it's just it doesn't have to be this way. In the words of, of Ron Paul, it didn't have to be this way. Well, Patrick, there's so many different things I want to ask you that are kind of in the same uh, ballpark. I want to talk about the Uyghurs, so let's not forget that. But we'll we'll hold on to that for just a second. Um, but I know that you talk about in your article uh, whether it's uh, talking about the West encircling Russia or and China for that matter, uh, putting on uh, political and economic pressure. Um, obviously very ramped up in the current state of affairs with Russia and Ukraine. Um, d despite the Soviet-slash-communist undertones that those countries perhaps represent, bo both either in the past or the present, with, with that being one exception, Russia and China would not in any other sense appear to be natural allies culturally or historically or otherwise. And yet all of this, this, this massive propaganda machine, the, the entire neocon West, for, for lack of a better way to put it, it it's, it's pushing 
these two massive global nuclear powers closer together. It seems counterintuitive for our wise overlords who consider these, as you put it, the left and right narrative. If, if however you slice the cake, if these are the two biggest geopolitical opponents to the United States, what sense would it make to drive them to be closer? Yeah, and it's it's really a predictable result, and it goes back to the stupid and evil thing. <laughs> um, it, if you go back in history, Russia and China have really had a a really tumultuous relationship, and you could go back to the uh, the Sino-Soviet split. There was, um, I, I believe, it was the the Russians were attacking the Chinese embassy or or something like that. But it it was it was a really serious situation, um, a, a split that happened back then. Um, and I, I believe that was in the 60s and 70s. So our policy since then really just it makes a whole lot of sense um, what their reaction to our policy is, because you have the United States doing all these things like, uh, you know, selling selling arms to Taiwan, selling arms to Ukraine. Uh, in in some ways, it seems like they they're just mirrors of each other. The the Ukrainian situation and the Taiwanese situation, uh, except that we don't meddle in Taiwanese leadership because they really are on our side. Because they you know they like getting all the weapons and they like getting visits from our dignitaries and and the weapons manufacturers and things like that. Um, so when when you have the economic blacklisting and in the populist right talking about this decoupling from China. And and, you know, doing things like I mean, from both sides, you could talk about the Black Sea with Russia and our Navy's activities in the what we call now the Indo-Pacific, because we can't we can't define the South China Sea as being, you know, we can't define it in relation to China because that concedes, at least rhetorically, that the South China Sea might, you know, that the Chinese might have a better claim to the South China Sea than the United States does. So we have to call it the Indo-Pacific. Um but when we start doing those things and, and doing the economic decoupling and putting sanctions on Russia, I mean, what else are they supposed to do than, than, um, than really desire a multipolar world order where they can create a parallel financial system that's not controlled by the United States and Western powers either? And, and to them, I, I think that Putin and Xi have talked a lot about um, how it just makes sense to have a military alliance, although that's not a policy that's been declared. But there's been a lot of um, really, really supportive rhetoric and friendly rhetoric on that end. And and since the Ukrainian situation has kind of taken off, you see a refusal of sorts of China to really condemn Putin's actions in Ukraine. And, and you know, there's going to be more development on that front. Well, it it two things that kind of came to mind during that one one being um from an economic standpoint you know you can you can think back to the financial crisis in 2007-2008 and I, I know a lot of our economic prognosticators would say that there's another one coming down the pipe that's going to make that look like a joke but when when these economic crashes happen you know it doesn't just affect you and I here in the states it, it tends to affect the whole world i mean so many people operate on the dollar or the petrodollar uh, so much international trade is involved that when there is a major economic, you know, if Wall Street in New York City takes a hit, they feel it in China too, and, and, to, and to an extent vice versa as well. Uh, and so in, in, a, in a global economy, one again would just assume naturally that it, 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 it serves everyone's best interest to uh, get along. Uh, 
And then the last thing um, is, you know, MAD, MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. It, it always struck me as odd that our defense contractors and military ops and everyone in between, you know, they're, they're running drills and writing manuals as you and I speak tonight about how they're going to go about dealing with Russia should that day come. How they're going to go about dealing with China should that day come. It's, it, it's almost as if a generation or two removed, everyone's forgotten what mutually assured destruction is. When you were talking about that novel, when you were talking about what that w could possibly mean for a, world, a real world worldview, it, it seems like people don't get that if these powers were to go to war, one side may get the better of the other, but no one's going to want to lose. And if someone thought they were going to lose and it was going to be post-World War I or II, for that matter, Germany, and they were going to be stripped of everything, they're going to let those missiles fly. I feel like that's kept the world from destruction for decades, and yet we're having this conversation. Just where did, How did we reach this point? Oh, man. Well, I don't know if we have enough time to really... <laughs> I just I'll just give you that quick 30 seconds. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I I don't know, man. And, and it's it's not only the problem of mutually assured destruction or people intentionally using nukes. I think that one of the an equal or greater danger is some kind of an accident or misreading or false alarm where there is a retaliation. And in fact, you know, isn't there that story about there's the Soviet officer who Yes, uh, they got a false report of a missile launch from the United States. And and it was his order. Uh, his his orders were that he was to to launch the nukes in response. But he had a feeling he knew that it would be the end of the world. And so he had a feeling that maybe he should confirm or, or just wait and ignore those orders. And uh, he didn't launch it. And, and he's a hero. So uh, I this I'll take it in this direction. We, we have Adam Kings, Kinzinger uh, going back to, to that whole thing, him, him hanging out in these neoconservative swamp think tanks, basically. And one of those places that he's spoken, and I mean, he's spoken all over the place, the American Enterprise Institute, Foreign Policy Initiative, and uh, one of them is the Hudson Institute. And the Hudson Institute is famous for having a founding member. Um, let's see what his name is. He's a he's a a Rand nuclear war theorist, Herman Kahn, and he's notorious for his efforts to develop a winnable nuclear war. So, you know, we have these if if I guess if your question is how did we get to this point? Well, at least, you know, we have people rubbing elbows with these think tanks and these think tanks produce these policy opinions about things like this, about winnable nuclear strategies. So, we we have really what accounts to nerds writing these papers that are influencing the politicians. Uh, so you have the arms manufacturers buying these nerds to write papers that justify selling more weapons and then buying politicians also who will go out and promote these policies. Patrick, I'm, I'm afraid as we're, as we're approaching the time here that we may not have enough time for you to fully explain the controversy of the alleged Uyghur genocide. <laughs> yet, yet again, it might take another appearance, but I, I will at least say this and then let you, let you have the final word in that I, I don't want to sound like a war hawk here, but I think it's fair to say the CCP is not, are not good people. 
You're the gonna... Chinese com <laughs> the Chinese Communist Party are not exactly good souls that are just stupid versus evil. They're not just misguided but well-intentioned folk. Um, with that said, I think it's fair to have an opinion that there are, there is an entity in this world that does not represent our values that we would be uh, disgusted by. But that also means we don't have to come up with the we don't have to come up with stories though, do we? We no. don't have to make up reasons why they're evil. They, their, their evil can stand on its own. And I feel like, because I, I have read and seen a lot of your stuff on this topic, that I feel like, other than the fact that you just don't, don't like falsehoods, is you, is maybe you agree with, or maybe you don't, and you'll tell me I'm an idiot, is that you, you don't feel that we need to be coming up with boogeymen when boogeymen exist in the world. No, I mean, it's like, in 2002 and 2003, in, in the lead up to the invasion of Iraq, are, is it really our place to be writing stories about, you know, how evil of a dictator Saddam Hussein was? I mean, when the empire has named, uh, when the empire has put China in the crossroads and put Russia in the crossroads, is it really our place and time as people in the United States to be talking about when, again, when our empire, the empire that we live in, has put these nations in the in the crosshairs, is it our time to be writing these puff pieces uh, for the military-industrial complex talking about how evil of a dictator Xi is or how how blood-soaked Putin is or anything like that. I, I don't think so. Now, it, it doesn't mean that we we um, we endorse what they're doing or say that it's A-OK -okay or that, you know, it has the libertarian stamp of approval or anything like that. But we we just have to realize what what time that we're in, the weight of history, and exactly what what is our role as Americans in, in this whole controversy. And I think that our role should be to mind our own damn business. I bet, Patrick, I think if we did write that, we'd probably have more viewers. Maybe. I, may, maybe we should write a novel about how India is going to save the world from China and America. What do you think? I think it'll sell tons of copies. <laughs> Patrick, on that note, where can people go to support you? And I know you're going to mention the Libertarian Institutes of them, too. Yeah, so I, I'm the Justin Raimondo Fellow at the Libertarian Institute, which is uh, admittedly gigantic uh, shoes to fill, but I, I'm doing my best here. And uh, you can find all of our work over at the Libertarian Institute, libertarianinstitute.org. My website is libertyweekly.net, and I've been doing all my stuff kind of through Substack. So if you sign up, libertyweekly.net forward slash Substack, you can get... Um, as a supporting listener or reader, you can get early access to my content and some bonus episodes. But there is a free newsletter also that goes out as a part of that. So if you want to support my work, head on over there. Patrick, we're going to get you out of here on this one. A bowl of cereal, which is a bowl with the cereal in it with milk poured in, is cereal soup. Well, the soup have to be cold because I, th I think that's maybe where, where it turns on. I'd say yes, because there is chilled soup. So, yes, cereal is a type of soup. That is correct, Patrick. You've won the bonus round. <laughs> Thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, always glad to be on with you, Alan. Guys, we're going to be back to wrap up right after this commercial break. Don't go away.
If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Mosley. Like our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter. Twitter.com at TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash TV. We're also now on Odyssey. Go support a free speech platform. Odyssey.com slash It's Too Late with Alan Mosley or Alan Mosley TV. If you're more of a listener than a watcher, us on your favorite podcasting platform of choice thanks to anchor fm it's anchor.fm slash alan mostly tv uh dave do you have a final thought <laughs> i had a lot of fun this week i'm enjoying the show i think we did a good job tonight we had a lot of fun great great guest as usual good job with the interview yeah yep. i think we were is, wonderful they had big. a good time yeah that's yep. yeah that's pretty much my weekly thing yeah, and I'm so glad, you know, it, it's a totally different energy in the room when we do the show live, because it actually mm-hmm. is live, Adam, shut the fuck up. It actually <laughs> is live. It's amazing. It's incredible. It like, do you do you yell at your scream at Tom Brokaw to touch his fucking nose? Yeah. Like, you know? Jesus Christ. Um, I always like live, when though. Ryan pulls me out of the, the show and, and makes me laugh. And it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's right. <laughs> Holy shit! What? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I had a great time too. And if you had mm-hmm. a great time and you want to join us for a little bit of the after party, you're gonna have to go oh. over to Twitch. That's yeah. Twitch.tv/Allen underscore Mosley. While you're there, you can sub. You can sub for free if you're an Amazon customer with your Twitch Prime. But meet us over there for the after party. And if you're not, we will see you next week <laughs> I like that <laughs> he just totally blew his mind oh man I'm so glad everybody was here tonight yeah good good crowd I love the chat yeah well, it's, see, it, people don't. I think th- some people don't understand that just because we do it live, it's not. It's yeah. not. We don't do it live because we're going to interact with chat. Although we will in the post, in the after party, because we're busy. You're over there yeah. running the show. The show, yeah, yeah, talking to guests. 